Hello, it's Kerry and Rachel. Rachel, what are you doing? You got all the good words. <laughs> Welcome to Dirty Vegetables, a podcast where we discuss hot topics in the vegan world, exposing the dirt on animal industries and sharing our complete adoration for vegetables. 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 Hi everyone! Hi! Today's episode is called The Vegan Religion and today we're going to be talking about the links to religion and veganism. So our main points today are going to be talking about how the environment links to creation and God, how health links to healing in religion and how kindness links to ethics and we'll also wrap it up with tips to not be a preachy vegan but before we get stuck in let's do a little check-in what's the crack (laughs) (laughs) not a lot um what is the crack went to a vegan fine dining restaurant yesterday Ooh, fine dining yeah and it just occurred to me didn't take any pictures which is just insane how did that not happen oh my god i know raquel what the hell but I'm gonna go back and I'll take pictures next time but it was very spontaneous maybe that's why I didn't think about the photos because there's a group Mm. of us here that decided to go out of this area and see something new and then we found the the fine dining last minute and just went and it was very nice five courses and it was like 45 euros per person no, that's really good. Not that much, actually, but less, like 42. It was good, but it was that's not really, enough really food. And the thing yeah. is, I feel like they're following the same method as like usual fine dining, where you just have this tasting menu and everything's very small and it's just a few bites. But when you're doing a normal fine dining, you're having like meat and fish and eggs and cheese and other animal products, which are more dense with... Um, more dense and fill you up quicker more calorie dense or whatever calorific calorific so then you're by the end of it even though you're never going to be stuffed from one of those experiences you're at least full but we finished this and we were all hungry still as it would be like a couple of cauliflowers like in a really decorative way in one course and just really really tiny teeny tiny portions so yeah, I do feel like if vegan restaurants want to follow the same idea of it being like many courses and very fancy and beautifully done, you still need to make the portions bigger than your typical tasting menu experience because like I felt like I ate the equivalent of like a small yeah. salad. I've actually never been end. to like a tasting menu thing before, which is a bit sad. <laughs> mm. I've just never done that. Like I would like to though. But it just, that's what I think. That's the way I think of it. Like these tiny little portions. Like my portions are really large. Like I make like a big dinner. I think you do too. I feel like we make like a good big dinner. Like yeah. I feel like I'd be quite underwhelmed. Even when I go to things like weddings and stuff, I always feel like they just don't give you enough. And like I was at a wedding not long ago and it was like the smallest yeah. portions. And you know, because they're serving like a hundred people takes so long to come out so you're waiting for ages and then like halfway through the night they give everyone like bacon buddies and I was like hello <laughs> hi what about me <laughs> um so and it's just a bit like oh for 
sick. I would have loved a wee, like, faking body at that point, but whatever. <laughs> So the dirty ingredient of the week this week is, and again, before I mention it, this is just an ingredient that we feel we can't live without. It's an essential for the vegan cupboard, the vegan fridge, vegan cookery in general. And this week it is gram flour, aka chickpea flour. Um... This is a cool one when it comes to vegan cookery because you can make really nice kind of egg substitute dishes with it. And that's something that I've been doing a lot recently at this yoga retreat. Um, yeah, I, I love making kind of like a Spanish omelette style um, dish with making a batter with chickpea flour and loads of spices and water. And then you just whisk it together and then um, put it in a pan. And then I add lots of roasted vegetables and then cook it in the pan for a while on the heat and then put it in the oven to finish it off. And it's so good. Really easy, full of protein, super simple, great ingredient to have. Um, and before I go into the, the nutritional values of it, um, how do you like to use gram flour, Carrie? I think this is another um, ingredient that you have definitely chosen <laughs> I think this was the same as buckwheat which was um a few episodes ago that I I don't think I've ever used chickpea flour actually I have a big well I had I had to throw it away when I moved I was devastated a big massive bag of it and I used it for something and I think it was potentially like falafel would that be used in falafel there was some maybe random um recipe that I used when I was doing that traveling the world recipes thing a few years ago in lockdown mm. and I used that and I had that big bag of flour for a really long time and I didn't know what else to use it for so I've actually never really used it so I can't really comment on this one but it is something I would like to use more for sure uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> Well, just to tell you guys a little bit more about gram flour, um, it's an essential ingredient in Indian cooking. Um, they use it for, for many of their dishes, but most notably things like samosas, pakoras, onion bhajis, vegetable bhajis, these sorts of things. It's used a lot. And gram flour has actually grown in popularity recently because it's gluten-free. And that whole mm. gluten-free boom that that started um within the last kind of five years yeah gram flour has really um, peaked in sales because of that um and yeah it's actually really good for you so similar all of this will kind of apply to chickpeas in general and also hummus which we've spoken about before but just to talk about some of the health benefits gram flour is actually rich in vitamins and minerals um it's got loads of folate iron phosphorus magnesium copper and manganese yes like one cup of chickpea flour packs slightly more folate than you need in a day and this vitamin plays an important role in in preventing spinal cord defects during pregnancy which is very interesting and important Mm. um so yeah also gram flour may reduce the formation of harmful compounds in processed foods so they, yeah, so chickpeas contain beneficial antioxidants called polyphenols. And yeah, antioxidants are just kind of compounds which um, 
are really good for kind of freeing your body of harmful things, free radicals in your body that can be associated to disease. Do you think this is a popular ingredient? Yeah. Maybe it is in Sweden. In the UK, it's really, really not. Like, I don't hear people talk about this. But it... But like, I have heard of it. I think for vegans, it's more popular because you use it a lot for things like vegan omelette or vegan scrambled eggs. I want to know from the public community. <laughs> Do you use ground for it? I'm going to put a poll out. I'm going to put a poll out on Dirty Vegetables Instagram and find out because I'm curious. I feel like I'm definitely missing out on this it's one. It's a good one. But I just never... I don't know if you get this if there's like an ingredient like this that you sometimes see people using or it's a new thing and you don't know how to use it it can be a bit like daunting and I don't want to have to think about it (laughs) it's like effort to try and learn how to use something because the things I know how to do I've got them down Mm. so this is like a new thing you know you can get stuck in these like routines of the cooking the same kind of things all the time yeah because you know they're good yeah but I'm very curious if other people think this is popular. I think definitely in Indian cooking, because I've heard a lot of people talk about that in Indian cooking, but not so much British cooking. Yeah. Well, you should... <laughs> Which I don't you, really know what British you cooking is. You should use it, but. and I don't think you should be daunted by it either, because I think it's a really easy ingredient to use. You can turn it into a batter just by adding water to it, um, and then use that to make whatever you want, battered vegetables or some sort of... Um, scrambled egg or omelette situation like I explained or so many other things you could make bread out of it I imagine and it's actually compared to normal wheat flour it's far higher in protein and fiber as well so it's a really good thing to maybe consider getting into your cupboard yeah because I don't think you can even buy it in like supermarkets here I've never seen it maybe you can I've never noticed it you can buy it in like the Middle Eastern shops. I've seen it in those a lot or like the African shops. I feel like they always have it. But Tesco's, <laughs> I'm not so sure. But can we just have pay a little homage to the humble chickpea yeah. in this mm-hmm. moment? What a green <laughs> legume pulse legume. What a legume. It can be it can just do everything. Yeah. I'm very it's impressed. Very versatile. It. it is. I think it's the mm. best one. It could be. The best legume. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so our first point that we're going to talk about is how the environment and the importance of environment to vegans can be linked to the importance of creation and the importance of God to people who are religious. So when I think about this, when I think about if I put veganism into the slot of religion, I would say God is mother earth that is the earth that sustains us that is the body if you will that gives us life because we're getting our food from this body of the earth I don't know if you pray Rachel do you I definitely meditate and sometimes feel that I'm trying to communicate to some sort of higher force or energy or something to aid with manifestation and alignment but I don't I wouldn't call that praying do you? Mm, maybe I don't I do pray I actually pray like quite a lot I would say more nights than not mm. but sometimes I would just pray to like a generic god like I don't think it's a religious thing but I would also pray to like mother earth <laughs> 
Like, I feel like that is what I pray to. This is the life force. Like, even just if you walk outside, how mesmerizing it is. Like, even yesterday, it was in the morning, actually. It was really dark in the morning and the moon was out. And I just couldn't, I know the moon isn't like part of the earth, but it kind of is, it's in its orbit. I was just mesmerized. And recently I've been seeing like double rainbows, the most exquisite rainbows ever. And just thinking, oh my God, like this is this actually real? And sometimes if you just take a moment to think about it, like if you go to the beach and see the waves, it's like, what is going on? And you look at the vastness of the water and you look at like the tallest trees and you're thinking, this is absolutely miraculous. And that's what I think that people would, religious people would think about God. Like this being is miraculous. This being controls everything. And I would say that mother earth controls everything. Mm -hmm. We think we have all these choices, but it's all up to like random occurrences that happen that are all really brought about by the earth. And I would also add that we are a part of that being as well. Yeah. So I think, let's say Christianity, they would say that eating the body of Christ is like they would eat bread at mass. Well, I would say that we are like part of that body of God, of the being of earth. And everything that we eat is like the body of God. And the water that we drink is like, like, oh my God. (laughs) If you look at the rivers on a map or just like from a satellite view, they're literally veins. They're veins running through the earth. And that is what we are drinking from. So it's like we are drinking from the blood of the Mm. earth, which is mother nature. What do you think? Yeah, we're breathing in. um, The trees are like what is it the amazon rainforest is like the lungs of the earth and they're producing all of this oxygen um for us to 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 breathe in and dealing with carbon dioxide and waste products and yeah i think take one step in nature and you're bound to get this kind of awestruck feeling of wow this is remarkable that this is coming to being. And I do think it's such an expression of a life force, of a larger energy that far extends ourself. And we are part of it. And I think the more you can surrender to feeling like you're part of this interconnected link of energy, of life, then the more kind of content in life you can be. And I think that's part of the reason we're so unhappy as a modern society, because our life is so disconnected from nature. And nature is kind of like is everything. If if we can't get a handle on climate change, then everyone's life is going to dramatically change. No, like the way we're living our lives at the moment cannot continue if we don't get a handle on it. There's certainly things that we should change. For example, people should start using public transport more. People should um, reduce their carbon emissions in any way they can. Um, there's certain you know, elements of modern life that I don't think are sustainable or are great at all. But I do think that like our life is so governed by mother nature in a way that we can't even begin to to comprehend and big changes are gonna occur if we don't start to protect the environment more. And yeah, this is just an 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 experience that I I really have a lot here in Sweden, walking through the forests and appreciating the magnificent of magnificence of the trees and it's really icy and snowy here at the moment and the, all these different snowflakes with all their unique formations and nature is mesmerizing it really is quite remarkable 
And it is, in my understanding and in my belief, it is an expression of the ultimate creation, which is governed by some sort of higher force. Yeah, I think that's a good point when you were saying about the lungs are the, or the Amazon is the lungs of the earth. And it fascinates me how when you look at nature, it replicates itself so much. Like when you look at a tree, it literally looks like the inside of lungs, which is it does seem at times too perfect to just be placed there or just have developed that way. So I think, you know, looking at that as a religion, like looking at the earth as this being, this living thing. And of course, as part of veganism is all everything that lives on that. So it's the animals that live on that. And it's the way people, if people looked at God, you know, they see it as this being that you shouldn't use blasphemy towards it. So I guess that's similar that we vegans would say to the animals, like you shouldn't use language that's quite specious. So just on the back of that, I think we'd like to talk a little bit about how turning plant-based or turning vegan really helps with the conservation of the environment. And I think, I mean, there's so many different elements to this of how veganism is good for the environment and ways in which vegans are trying to protect the environment. Okay, so I think a good place to start, and this is what a lot of people think of when they think of environment and veganism is, well, cows farting, um, which is a big problem cow farts and animal farts in general essentially all the methane that is coming from animals so the largest producers of methane are actually chickens turkeys pigs and cows and and alongside methane is nitrous oxide which the meat egg and dairy industries produce 65 percent of world nitrous dioxide in the atmosphere and this is really damaging for the planet. It's really damaging for global warming, which I'm sure everyone has heard for years and years, people talking about it. But I also think that a lot of people cut out the element of animals. So people jump to things like, oh, it's your car or global flights and things like this. But they, they cut out that massive, massive percentage that comes from um, industrial farming, which is a big, big problem. Yeah, and another important gas to take into consideration when we're talking about climate change is, of course, carbon dioxide. And veganism can be really helpful for reducing your carbon emissions. If every American dropped one serving of chicken per week from their diet, it would save the same amount of CO2 emissions as taking 500,000 cars off the road. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. Also, in terms of water... Um, nearly half of all water used in the United States goes into raising animals for food. It takes more than 2,400 gallons of water to produce one pound of meat. That's... Versus one pound of wheat takes only 25 gallons of water. So we're looking at 2,400 compared to 25 for one pound of meat versus wheat, which is quite remarkable. I can't, I can't fathom that. I just don't understand how does it take so much water? Is it the feeding of the animals? Yeah. And it's the raising the, of the, the crops. Yeah. Yeah. It's for the Insanity. crop production and then, yeah. And then you'd save more water by not eating one pound of meat than you would by, by not taking a shower for six months. <laughs> one pound of meat versus six one months dinner. of showering. Literally one dinner. What the freak? 
A vegan diet requires 300 gallons of water per per day versus a meat-eating diet which requires 4,000 gallons per day. It's it's so crazy when you look at countries who literally don't have enough water. Like they just don't have access to something that is crucial to life. And we're using two and a half thousand gallons on a pound of meat. <laughs> How does that make any sense? I just can't understand. I can't envision two and a half thousand gallons of water. Never mind that for such a small part of your day like such a small part and I think that like coming back to the religious thing that links in really well because this like it's something that's so abused and you know if you were looking at a religious point they would have these sort of rules in in place that they would follow and that's just completely to respect their deity to like respect their god respecting it and that just goes completely against like anything and it's when you read these facts it really makes me understand why people why vegans get so angry (laughs) you know like why vegans aren't like it's a similar thing to people who are preaching on the street like screaming i don't know if anyone's been to belfast but there's like preachers on the street like preaching the gospel it's really quite annoying it's extremely loud but it just makes such sense when you see how people are just ignoring the fact that this is actually killing people around the world because we're so greedy using up water and just using emissions for no no good reason at all. No, I agree. There's actually a term that I came across when researching this episode. It's called vistopia, and a psychologist came up with this term. And it's kind of this sense of anguish of being a vegan in a non-vegan world. And you you realise all this stuff, these staggering statistics um, and you get informed on all this stuff about the, your health, the environment and everything else, the animals. Um, and it's just this real sense of anguish that the world around you isn't changing. It's like, how can you not see? And I think that's why, yeah, a lot of people mm. become preachy. Yeah, it makes a lot but of just, sense. But just to finish off the water point, and this is one of the things that I think of the most when I think about pollution and animal industries and why they're so bad for the environment is all of the animal excrements. If you think about the quantities of animals we are um, creating for the for meat production, staggering numbers, billions and billions and billions. All of these animals um, produce waste, produce excrement, and we don't have any sewage systems in place for this waste the way that we do for humans. And it means that it ends up creating huge amounts of groundwater pollution, which ultimately gets into rivers and gets into the oceans and creates enormous dead zones in the oceans. And this is a huge, huge problem with with the animal industries. And what's really frustrating is you, you soon learn that some of the biggest kind of bio disasters that there's been in history are relink- are linked to huge kind of meat production facilities. There was um, one huge pork producer that created like they they accidentally spilled spilled like something like three heck 
hectares worth of waste into the ocean and oh and then the thing is they get given these big fines of like a few billion dollars and they make more money than that in half an hour so it's just oh it's such a horrible um, loop that we're in at the moment where it's almost as it's almost as if these big industrial farms almost allow for a certain amount of kind of fines that they're going to have to pay for how harmful their industry is yeah and just to give some some numbers and statistics to this animals raised for food create 89,000 pounds of excrement per second, none of which benefits from the water treatment facilities like human excrement does. And this situation creates massive amounts of groundwater pollution. I mean, stepping aside from the animal thing, but there's a lot of people who will um, put human sewage into waterways as well, which is a problem. And there's actually this group that I follow. You might have heard of them. They're called Surfers Against Sewage. And it was set up in England by this guy, this pretty cool guy. I've actually um, met him on a Zoom call one time. <laughs> but they um, they map out all of the parts of the UK where there's sewage in the water. So they're obviously surfers and they're going out and surfing in these places, but they cross them off in a map to show you where it's dangerous to surf because it's so polluted. And you should see the map, like the whole coastal line essentially is is covered in sewage. It's insane. And that's just people just being like, whether it's in the animal industry or I don't know, some sort of waste plants of sorts who just don't care. Like they just do not care. And they're just, they know what they're doing. It's not, this isn't happening by accident. It kind of reminds me of that scene in The Simpsons. I don't know if you've seen it where Homer keeps like putting his this toxic waste into this lake and it becomes really toxic and it turns like green I think and it's just that's that's literally what it's like you just can't visually see it another big part of the environmental damage is the land as well so raising animals for food uses 30% of the earth's land mass like if you think of 30% of the earth is used for animals that's just such a large amount it actually equals 17 million square miles which is unfathomable which actually is more than the surface of the moon so the whole moon's surface plus some we use for grown animals which just seems absurd and of course we've heard a lot like we were talking about at the start about um the amazon being the earth's lungs which we all know is being absolutely destroyed and along with loads of other forests around the world as well. So it's actually more than 260 million acres of forest in the United States alone is being used and um, cleared to create crops for farmed animals. And this is something that people actually criticize vegans a lot for, that the Amazon is being cut down for soy and it's all the vegans that are creating this Amazon destruction, whereas in reality, the majority of that f is going to feed for the animals. So actually by eating the soya and not eating the meat, you're using less soya than you would be if you were eating the meat that is eating the soya in the first place. So it's there's a lot of false information going around about this. And um, yeah, it's on an absolutely massive scale. And, and just to finish off with um, this process of, of using animal products for food, for nutrient, for, for sustenance, 
is um, just so inefficient. Yeah, so animals eat large quantities of grain, soybean, oats and corn. However, they only produce a comparatively small amount of meat, dairy products or eggs in return. So yeah, we're, we're using huge amounts of farmland to create feed for the animals to, to eat. And 70, 70% of grain and cereals grown in the US alone are fed to farm animals. And if you think about, if we think about it in terms of how much we get out of this, like what's the, 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 the end product and what we've gained from all these resources of growing all these crops, it requires 16 pounds of grain to produce one pound of meat. And also if we think about aquatic life and fish, so like five pounds of wild caught fish are required to produce one pound of farmed fish. So we're using huge amounts of resources in order to produce meat, eggs and fish. Um, and it's just not sustainable in any sort of way, because, again, it's a, it's a matter of scale. And if we just used the land for growing vegetables and grains and other plants, it, plant based foods, it would just be so much more energy efficient. Yeah, I just want to end this point on a few contradictions that I think come up a lot in veganism and surrounding veganism. And well, one thing that annoys me a lot is about the amount of plastic, which we all know plastic is another element of damaging the environment. And if you look at vegan products that are just covered in plastic, it seems really like counterproductive, Is that if that's the right sort of term to use that are so bad for the environment. So you're if if you're a vegan for the environment or if that's part of it and then you're going out and buying these things, but it's, you know, this is not your fault. This is no one's fault. It's the system is broken in this respect that it just seems unfair. And another thing is that when you're buying the products that are using um, compostable packaging and things like that, the price is just so much higher. And it's a real, ba- it's something that I really battle with. It's like, I want to give to these small vegan in like companies, but you know, it's like double and triple in the price of a product when you could buy pretty much the same thing for so much cheaper, but it's in a big plastic box. And it's like, Oh, it's just this constant battle in my head. And I think a lot of people go through this as well. And also there's a lot of vegans that sort of lash out at other vegans because they're not doing things right or they should be doing it this way or, oh, you should really be doing this instead. And there is just an excess amount of information out there that makes it really, really hard. I think a really good part of this is the whole straw movement, which like really annoys me. It's like everyone had this big absolute canary about straws. Oh my God, I can't believe they're using a plastic straw. This whole thing. And it was such an outcry. But like people will literally not use a straw in a restaurant and order the salmon. <laughs> like what, what are you trying to protect when you're not using a straw? The fish. So why would you be ordering the fish? It just, none of it really makes sense. And it's really hard to get your head around. And when that happens, when I see people doing that, I feel on the verge of going into that preachy vegan realm. But I don't always think that that is the best route to go down but it is in my head. Do you, would you be the type to point that out to someone or not? I've, I've, I've kind of oscillated between the two approaches. It depends how triggered I am. If I'm really triggered, I, I have to say something. If, if I think if someone brings something up to me, I will yeah. like fight the case, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think I would just bring it up. No. 
I don't like to cause a commotion. Yeah, and there's <laughs> cognitive dissonance like, that is so, so at play here. I think it's more, it's so, I think I've mentioned this term before on the podcast, but people are always going to go to the comforting lies rather than the unpleasant truths. And it's unpleasant to face the reality of how much your actions actually impact the world. And it's, people just are not prepared to to face that and you have to come to it on your own terms mm. in your own time yeah because um, it's really overwhelming and someone else telling you did you know that 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 salmon is creating all these tons of plastic waste in the ocean because of fishing nets that have been lost and um whatever other reasons um they just you, you just you just switch off your brain switches off if you're not in a position to receive that information it literally goes in one ear and out the other and it's just not productive and um yeah but that's so similar to religion yeah. as well like if someone comes up to you and says you're going to go to hell forever if you're not saved today and you go what oh my god like shut up <laughs> You know, there's a real, there's an attack there. You feel attacked. Like, how dare you say I'm going to hell for eternity? And that's probably what people feel when you say, do you know you're killing all these animals? You're killing animals. It's an attack. This is an attack on me. This is a personal, it feels personal. Um, And I think that is really something that links veganism and religion is that potential to like preach at people. And actually, I think a lot of time that can be counterproductive because it pushes them into thinking that that's some sort of crazy religion that they don't want to get into. It's It's like a cult. Yeah. 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 Okay, so moving on to the next point um, is kind of health and healing um, and how this is linking kind of veganism to religion. So yeah, in a a lot of religious kind of um, scriptures and key texts, they often talk about being healed, having vitality, um, drink this holy water and your body will be cleansed. Treat your body with respect. This wine is the blood of God. This bread is the body of God. Eat them so that you're healed. All these sorts of, there's kind of a lot of imagery and a lot of messaging around this um, about healing and health and vitality and religion. And this is a big reason why people decide to go vegan. It's a huge motivator um, in what makes people go that way. And I think for me and probably for Carrie too, because we both listened to the same book, How Not to Die. Um, this book was kind of a game changer for me for really fully appreciating the healing powers of a plant-based diet and how it can not only prevent, but it can reverse so many diseases. And so many of the diseases in the modern world these days are lifestyle related. And it's because of of poor diets, namely kind of heart disease is like our number one killer. And it's, um, it's it can be prevented through reducing the amount of saturated fat in your diet and meat and animal products are so highly processed, so full of fat and, and so bad for your body. Um, and, and, and changing to plant-based can really reverse this damage. And it reminds me, actually, I've, I watched this um, a documentary once called The Retreat. Maybe you've seen it. It was done put on by the BBC. No. And um, there was this guy that had diabetes, type 2, and he was doing this strictly whole food plant-based diet um, at this retreat and doing yoga every day and being in a tropical paradise, which also helps. And he um, reversed his diabetes in something like three weeks, which is just like 
staggering. That's not to say that that's going to happen for everyone. Let me just put it out there. But this is a case of how quick and effective changing your diet can improve your health. And Mm. I think for me personally, I really, I think I've mentioned this before, but it's worth bringing up again. I really think that, that me transitioning to a vegan diet helped my health a lot, mostly in terms of my asthma. Um, I used to be very chronically asthmatic and I would get chest infections all the time. I would be on courses of antibiotics and steroids almost every winter when I was a child and a teenager. And even up until uni, I had to go a couple times. I remember going to the out of hours GP. Maybe you remember that, Kerry, because I was having asthma flare ups. It happened a couple of times. No, I remember one time you made up that you were having an asthma attack because you didn't want to go to work the next day. Oh, <laughs> good times. <laughs> That was genius, though. That was a strike of genius. Yeah, at like 5 a.m. Um, in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, and I used to have bad asthma. It really was. A, it really impacted my life. It impacted my stamina with exercise. I always had to have an, an, an inhaler on me, um, and I could get really, really sick. Um, and yeah, going vegan and adopting breathing techniques. I think both. Um, I think prevent like completely reversed my asthma to the point now that I really truly believe I don't have it anymore and I've been traveling for a while now and I just had like I just have the prescription on me that was the last prescription I got when I lived in the UK which is just a couple of inhalers and I haven't had to use them like one time and I'm not nervous about it either I'm not like oh god I need to get myself to the doctor and 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 get a new GP here in Sweden so that I can continue to get my prescription I'm kind of like no I, I don't need that anymore And again, I am not encouraging people that are asthmatic to just drop all their medication. Absolutely not. Um, you've got to to go on that journey on your own. And yes, yeah, so I think this kind this kind of links to this sense of religion because you're you're kind of taking God's gifts, which are like fruits and vegetables, and converting them into to healing powers into your body. What about you, Carrie? What have you got to say about this? Yeah, well, I think if we're looking at other religions, there's a lot of religions who see certain products and things as poison. So, for example, Jews will not eat meat from an animal with a split hoof. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So essentially like kosher foods. And you'll have like Muslims, for example, won't drink any alcohol. And there's just different things like that. And all of those things, like religions who don't eat pork as well, all of those things are poisons that people are putting in their body. It's interesting to see that a lot of these religions, it's actually meat that they see as poison. And it's, it's, it's strange to me a bit that it's a specific type of meat and not like meat in general. And it's the same, like, I suppose vegans would look at animal products as a form of poison in a way like it is poison your body the way that I think about it is that you're literally eating death like I suppose if you look at the whole sort of this circle of life in inverted commas which we have talked about in a previous episode I suppose all animals are eating other animals but something with humans that I find is quite strange is that the animal will be killed and you won't eat it for maybe like a week or maybe like even like months later because it's been frozen so you're not eating like live flesh you're eating dead essentially rotting flesh that's been sitting there for a while I think what's interesting to me or what's 
strange to me actually is that a lot of people will see these health conditions so like heart disease diabetes cancers things like this and they will probably know that it's linked to their diet in some way i mean diabetes is completely linked to your diet if it's type 2 you know it can be reversed or stopped if you have diet changes if you had like a broken leg you would do everything you can to heal that broken leg it should be the same with like diabetes but people just mask the effects of it Diet, especially for people, is just so ingrained in someone's lifestyle and their habits. And I find it really interesting, actually, from How Not to Die, when he was talking about diabetes specifically, you know, everyone relates diabetes to sugar. So it's an over sugar intake. Yeah. But the way he described it, and this might not be exact, but was essentially when you're eating fats, it's actually like really high saturated fats that you would get from meats that's clogging your arteries which is making it harder for you to absorb the sugars or there's something about that so it's actually the high fatty foods is like just as damaging for you as is the sugary foods so that is just a real that's just something that is really misunderstood with diabetes I think and I mean if you listen to how not to die which we talk about all the time but it's just, it's so full of such factual information. It's all based on study after study. His voice is really great to listen to. I just really enjoy listening to him. At the start, I find him a bit annoying. And I was like, oh my God, I actually like love <laughs> listening to his voice. Um, but that's, it's, it's just literally study after study. And he always does backup studies as well. So yeah. he doesn't just look at one singular study with like 10 participants. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a pivotal, it, it's almost like, it's almost if, if veganism is a religion, I think this book is a pivotal text for the vegan faith. <laughs> it's just wow pivotal and I couldn't recommend it more. So give it a listen. Yeah, it's so, it's dense. It's dense. It is for a specific reader, I would say. Like, I think a lot of people wouldn't enjoy it, but if you really want to know the facts and you really want to know it's it's so good i think it's, it's so really good. affirming that what you're doing is right because everything is not speculative mm-hmm. it's black and white and it kind of is like okay this is why i think sometimes with all this misinformation that we um have kind of alluded to bef- earlier in this episode that there's lots of misinformation and it's hard to know exactly the right thing to do and and I definitely have these moments with veganism where I'm kind of like am I sure that this is Mm. right because the whole world kind of is it's certainly getting better don't get me wrong like veganism is becoming more and more of an accessible lifestyle to live but it's still challenging in certain moments depending on who you're with where where you are what you're trying to do I'm yeah I'll have moments sometimes where I'm like am I absolutely sure that this is that I'm yeah that I'm right on this one because it affects everything it affects my life on a day-to-day basis and then when you read things or you learn things from such incredible sources it's like okay yeah this is why like even those facts we were just reading out about the environment before um which again we'll put in the show notes if you'd like to have a look at that source it it just was like this is staggering like you can't deny those numbers like it's absolutely like it's shameful what we're doing to the environment as a human race and then it's shameful Mm. what we're doing to our bodies um through these diets that we've been brainwashed into thinking are right and um 
yeah, the point I'm making is that it can be really helpful to find some really good vegan sources because it, it, it can be a bit confusing sometimes when when you're transitioning into veganism and when you've been a, a seasoned vegan for a while, it, it can be kind of like, oh, should I just eat the fish or what? You know, you can have moments like that. Just to finish this point off, I'd really like to just say as a vegan, I feel like we all need to, this is in a very religious manner that I'm saying this, you need to keep healthy to keep spreading the vegan word. You need to be on your egg yeah. to spread the message. <laughs> Lead through example, I think. Yeah, pretty much. Which we can mention in the how not to be a preachy vegan point that we're coming up to, but I think leading through example. And if you look healthy mm. and happy then you're just a walking billboard for the lifestyle. Okay, so our final point um, on this episode is about kindness and ethics, how those two are linked in terms of veganism and religion. So I think all religions that I know are based on some sort of kindness to other beings. And I think this is something that is actually really beneficial if you're brought up with religion, whether you choose to follow it or not. I think a lot of morals and ethics actually come from religion. And I remember going to Sunday school when I was younger and learning about how to treat people kindly and like don't do to others what you don't want done to yourself. And even like the Ten Commandments <laughs> um, as rigidly or not as you stick them I think it is a good basis for some sort of rules in your life and some sort of realization that hold on other people actually are affected by my actions as well as myself and I think this is a massive part of veganism obviously related to animals so I think veganism extends a bit more than your average religion who doesn't really take animals into account apart from Jainism which is a vegan religion essentially similar to hinduism and rastafarianism although i don't know if you can consider that a religion but yeah they, they're vegan mm, yeah i think that could be considered religion so veganism relating to religion in terms of kindness i think is a massive massive link and this also ties in a lot to spirituality and that um we are all one and i think a lot of religions tap into this as well, but I suppose they would say we are all the body of Christ if we're talking about Christianity, whereas I think vegans would look at we are literally all the same matter. And we're if we link back to that idea of God as being mother nature, we are sustained on literally the same things. We're growing with animals and therefore we should protect them at all costs because they're essentially part of us but something that I think is really relevant to this point is how a lot of vegans maybe don't consider humans as being animals which we actually in fact are and therefore actually being maybe unkind to other people who are not following their beliefs their religion if we're talking about it in the context of this episode so vegans who would be nasty to people and um, just completely disregard whatever they're feeling for whatever reasons that they're feeling it um, and attack them because they don't follow the same beliefs as them. And I think it's important for vegans in general to just take a step back and sort of if you are someone who maybe thinks that anyone who's not vegan is a bad person, you know, how can you um, respect 
everyone and look at this from a different perspective and realize that hey actually humans are part of the these animals of the world as well and how do we not be specious to humans because you know I think of it a lot of like if humans are doing something that I don't agree with that is nasty or whatever and I think about this even with like school bullies you know this is how they have been brought up in some way and if someone is being nasty to you about your beliefs or something like that they have been raised in a certain way or maybe something has happened to them in the past that has influenced how they're acting and you can't really blame them as a person and I think all you can do as a vegan is to tell them about what you think and what you believe and why why you follow a vegan lifestyle and hope that maybe something a little seed plants in their brain and that maybe one day they'll consider going down this route um I think that could be similar to religions is that you can't force someone to come into your religion but I guess preachers and people like this maybe on the street they would come up to you a lot just to plant those seeds I think to think maybe you'll move in that direction rather than saying like you must be in this religion and I think it's the same with veganism do you have any thoughts yeah I think it's it's about kind of accepting people at whatever stage of their journey that they're on and there was a time before we were vegan before we were informed in all of this and before we try and decided to adopt to adopt the lifestyle so we must be able to kind of have empathy and respect for people that are not vegan because we weren't always vegan and um, I think there's a couple, there's a quote that I think is quite nice for this um, by Maya Angelou and it's do the best that you can until you know better then when you know better, do better and I really think this a, a, a applies to veganism mm. really well because people can only do the best with what they know and I think what they know specifically needs to be what information they've come to on their own terms when they're ready to receive it um, and then do the best they can with that information. And if I think about my circles, when I first started being vegan, like my friends and family found it very radical and I don't think I had very much influence at all, but I think through me leading an example of my lifestyle and kind of opening up the conversation when it seemed appropriate and people wanted to speak to me about it, I haven't observed changes. Like my parents have radically reduced how much meat they consume now. And my dad read a couple of books about the animal industry for meat, which is crazy when I think about where where they were at with this, at the start, where it was so judgmental and what's that? And this is freak show food and that's not normal. And you're going to die of a vitamin, vitamin B12 deficiency kind of approach mm. that they had. And I also went thinking about yoga and just kind of spiritual principles and 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 stuff. There's kind of the concept of karma yoga, which is it's all about having the right attitude, the right actions, being of service to others, having glad acceptance, no matter what comes your way, doing duties without concern of the fruit. Um, these are the sorts of concepts that are related to karma yoga. And I think this kind of applies to if you can have a karma yogic approach to kind of humanity and how they're dealing with what we're learning about veganism is kind of just having an open heart and a glad acceptance of wherever they are in their journey and um, being of service to try and help influence people, but not Bible bashing mm. and not trying to change people and manipulate people it's kind of an open-hearted glad acceptance of this is where you're at and I'm here for it and I'm ready to receive it and lead by example mm. I've got a question for you 
Mm. So we've all seen these vegan activists who will like put blood all over butchers' windows, paint, and do mad radical activist movements outside of like local butchers. What do you think of this? Oh. <laughs> I I um I <laughs> I put you on the spot. I'm not for it because you're going to an audience that are nowhere near ready to be vegan. People that go into a butcher and people that operate a butcher are not are not are not in a position where they're going to be like, oh God, you're right. I should be completely plant based in the whole food now. That's just that's never going to happen. So I think it's 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 a wild leap, and you're targeting the wrong audience. You should be targeting people that are already on their way there the people that are are choosing to go to kind of the the eco supermarket or choosing to buy organic or people that are going to the vegan cafe i don't know these are the audiences that you could have the most influence on i think because they're already part of the way there and i yeah i just think it's it's unnecessary and it's aggressive and i'm all i think non-violent communication always wins yeah I I feel conflicted about this. I, I have thought about it before. Part of me thinks that by I mean by doing that, the audience is not really the actual butchers. I think the audience is the media. So the media catches wind of it and then it gets broadcast out. First of all, I think that often it just makes them look a bit extreme. It brings up that extremist, that militant vegan term straight away out of my head because it is very extreme. I also think it's not the best idea to target a small business, a small company who, yes, okay, I definitely don't agree with their ethics of what they're selling. But, you know, if you're going to do this, go to like the big supermarkets or the chains that, you know, aren't as um, ingrained in the community and it won't affect them as much because they're all just working for these big companies. But then also at the same time, I think that is such a good way of bringing a real spotlight on veganism. And it, it's, it is the brutal truth of like, this is murder. That is the brutal reality of it. And it's painful to see, I think, even as a vegan, when you are following that lifestyle anyway. But I think even for people who aren't vegan, who are maybe thinking of going to the butchers that day, that it does send a shockwave. It does... And I think some people will rebel against that and go the complete opposite way, actually. But a lot of people, maybe it will plant a little seed and it'll be sort of something. And I suppose it's just about getting veganism on the news in some way to make to make their point really heard. Because I think any of these big activist movements, they all in some at some point will involve a big radical activist demonstration like this like if you look at like women's rights or black rights or trans rights there's all of these big massive activist demonstrations in some way so i i see i see some sort of true potential positive in it but it it does in my head link a bit to like extremist religious mm. people as well yeah mm. i see what you're saying so a final point just to touch on briefly briefly is how to not be a preachy vegan. Um, so yeah, this 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 preacher position that a lot of vegans end up adopting um, is 
it can be problematic and it and it has got a lot of negative connotations um with it and yeah i think there's this essence of vegans thinking they're on a moral high ground because of what their behavior they're doing things that are so much better than what other people are doing and yeah I think this isn't the the right approach to have because um, although it's really understandable and it's this dystopia term of of the anguish of being a vegan in a non-vegan world and why can't people just see and there is tempting to put footage of slaughterhouses online and to do quite yeah um, to be preaching to try and convince people to to change their ways Um, I think we just have to accept, I mentioned this before, that everyone's at a different point on their journey. And it actually took me a long time to get to a position that I was fully vegan 100%. It's not an overnight flick a switch thing. We have to reverse a lifetime of of brainwashing and conditioning to believe that, to realise that the world around us isn't as good as we want it to be. That's quite a hard thing to come to terms with, that the government isn't in our favour and that the environment is messed up and we've been getting brainwashed and our education system is questionable and our health is maybe deliberately in a bad position so that the healthcare industries can make money off us and the drug industries can make money off us and that animals are suffering needlessly and we could prevent all of this by changing our diet. That's a hard thing to come to terms with, actually. Um... And there's a lot of eco-anxiety going on at the moment in terms of the environment and global climate change. And I think there's just, it's really overwhelming and preaching to people and making them feel guilty about their choices isn't going to help anything. Humans are complex and um, you're not, just because you think someone's done a really bad action by killing an animal needlessly, it doesn't make you any better of a person by then abusing that person um, with your words and with other actions like you're not in a better position if you treat them badly because you think they've done something bad it's kind of the two wrongs don't make a right kind of analogy here and um we've just got to accept with open arms where people are on the journey and and um yeah your thoughts on this one yeah i think i think once you like I think this really ties in well with the last point that we made about kindness and sort of ethics and things like that. I think as long as you are putting out good vibes into the world in whatever way that is, and if you see that as eating, um, not harming through what you're eating or not buying animal products or buying things that aren't testing animals, you don't need to go out and show, I'm a vegan, look at this, look at that. I think by just being a good person and doing following your own moral code and being kind to other people and accepting exactly like where they are in their journey and things like that I think that that is such a better example than screaming at people it it doesn't resonate well with me when someone tries to preach to me about veganism or anything if someone is coming at me really strong on something I'll like actively try and not (laughs) believe what they're saying because I don't like the the tones that they're using or I don't like the way that they're talking about whatever subject yeah of course have the conversations of course do that but there's a very fine line between having the conversations and like shouting at people and yeah and I also think that just in general I think once you're if you're speaking all the time you're not listening and I think 
You need to listen to people's reasonings and don't just rule it out. Well, well no, you're a horrible person if you're not vegan. <laughs> I think that's the most unfair thing ever. And you need to listen to their reasons why they're not vegan and understand where they're coming from. And you, they may say something you think it's absolute baloney. Preaching. Yeah. <laughs> and you can call them out on it if you want, but I think, yeah, I don't think it makes any benefit. So how not to be a preachy vegan, essentially just, just be kind to all don't be specious actually live by your vegan values of just being a kind person to other animals and other animals does actually include humans as well (laughs) here here and i'd like to finish this point off with another quote that i found and this is by michelle mccowan and it's i don't feel superior because i'm vegan the truth is i'm be i'm vegan because i don't feel superior to others boom exactly point made So just to conclude, this episode's been looking at veganism as the new religion. And we've kind of been surrounding the question of can living a vegan lifestyle, is this really kind of something that's similar to leading a following a religious belief, being part of a religious body? And we've been looking at um, the environment and linking this to kind of mother nature, God, universal life force divine creation yeah then we've been looking at health and how this links to healing and treating your body with respect and how this can come up with different religious practices and finally we've been looking at uh, kindness and compassion treat thy neighbor as you wish to be treated ahimsa no harm to any other forms and um and and yeah how that links to veganism and religion as well we'd love to invite you into the the conversation what thoughts do you have on this do you feel like leading a vegan lifestyle is kind of similar to having a new religious identity religious ideology what are your thoughts on that i guess and to ask you well how would you answer the question then do you feel like veganism is a religion for you i guess actually after talking about it in this episode yeah kind of Actually, before this episode, I probably would have said no, but we've talked about it so much and linked them together so much. I think, flip, it is a bit. It actually is a bit. I don't think I... Well, yeah, yeah, you do. You follow the principles. You follow the rules like you would a religion. And you... I guess the only thing is we don't have, like, a church that we go to. Yeah. Or maybe we do. And there's no sense of life after death. That's what the theologist um, Kai Funkschmidt said that there's a lot of links between veganism and, and religious influence, but there, um, he argues that there is a lack of reference to transcendent, transcendence in veganism, which is a fundamental mm. difference compared to major religions such as Christianity. So yeah, life after death. Something Although I would about. argue that Mother Nature takes care of that and we become part of the mycelium network. Yeah. We go back into other life forms. And our energy goes like, into something else. Karma, reincarnation. Yeah, that's a reincarnation type thing. So, so then we're kind of blending veganism with Buddhism, but then Buddhism actually already kind of adopts veganism. So maybe we're saying that we're Buddhist. And there's a lot more to Buddhism than just that, though. Yeah, but a lot of stuff, there's parallels. Yeah, I talked about meditation. For sure. For sure. So thank you okay. for listening. <laughs> let us know. <laughs> let us know what you think. Please get involved with the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. You can di- direct message us on Instagram or you can send us an email. 
www oh no that was going to say the website there email is dirtyvegetables at gmail.com instagram same name and you can also check out our website www.dirtyvegetables.com thanks so much guys see you next week bye 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 driver bye bye